What is crackalackin', fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with my certified fantabulous, also thermonuclear AF co-host, Grant Hughes. It is trade deadline primer time. Once you see, if you're watching on YouTube, what's on the screen or what we're talking about or what will eventually be published at Bleacher Report, you might understand why I am not active in the Discord at this moment. But hey, join the Discord. The link to that is in the podcast and YouTube descriptions we have a lot of fun in there it's nice seeing everyone interact with each other as well also subscribe to us if you haven't done that already if this is your first time checking us out on youtube hit subscribe like comment please help the algorithm love us back follow our other youtube channel where i just post shorts of what i think are fun nba stats uh it's we're at nba absurd stats there the link to that is in the youtube description i should probably put it in the podcast description i will eventually follow us on the socials at hardwood knocks on twitter and TikTok at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. We are closing in on 200 followers on, in, on TikTok, a whopping 200 followers on TikTok, which is more than we have on Instagram, which has been hovering around 185 to 188 for the past like eight months. I don't know how to build followings on these platforms at all. We're posting content all the time. Finally, if you have done all these things, subscribe to us on whatever podcast player you use. Word of mouth recommendations, shout outs on Twitter. They always mean a lot. Anything to help us continue grow the community. Grant Hughes, we're diving in to a trade deadline primer. How are you feeling? Well, uh, as is not the case for uh, what we're about to get into, I'm unprepared to give you a quippy uh, lead because I felt really good about my Jordan Poole thing last time we talked, but yeah, I just don't have it today. So, but that's a testament to how much prep and work we've been putting in. There's just there just was no time for that for that kind of nonsense. This is going to be a real detail-oriented excursion into the trade deadline. With all that said, let's start with the Pacific Division, and we're going to change things up, so we'll alternate on who leads us through it, but we're going to go in order of decreasing winning percentage, which I don't know who saw this coming. Who's You're starting us off in the Pacific Division, and that's with who? Yeah, it's the Sacramento Kings. Can we just pause for a second and appreciate that? Like, that's it's it's amazing. Um, unless you pick their under, which I suspect we probably both did. We're gonna have to. Oh, look I, back I smashed the over on them. What were that? What was it like? Thirty three. It was like thirty three or thirty five, and I oh, thought that was we both went over. I, I can I, go check really quick while you're vamping, and I'll let you know. I, you know, we'll, there'll be a whole pod. Don't waste the content, Dan. We'll do. We'll <laughs> use all that later. All right, so. Uh, the idea here is we're going to kind of look at, you know, what's the big question or what's the overarching idea for each of these teams. And to me, the Kings look, they're, they're in playoff position. They're, you know, up towards the top of the West. They're right there with anybody not named Memphis and Denver. Um, so it's obviously a win now by situation, however you want to frame it. But to me, it's just how do we, how can they get the defense to improve? Because, you know, this is what we thought this team would be in a best case scenario is where the offense is, phenomenal you know top three top five for almost this entire year and the defense is basically the inverse of that um and so you know they're not going to be able to match up against some of the teams that they're going to need to beat or compete with in a playoff series if they just don't have enough wing defense particularly rim protection all that stuff so those are your targets those are the things they'd be looking for um i guess we're going to try to keep this kind of loose but just thinking about them now you know, Sabonis is their interior defender. He's actually been better than you would expect. And based on his history at, you know, deterring shots at the rim, they still give up a ton at the rim. Um, but they also don't really have a big wing defender. Which of those two things do you think, you know, all things being equal, what are you looking at as the bigger need positionally? If we 
concede that it, it has to be a defensive upgrade. I would go with the wing defender just because are you going to play Sabonis with another rim protector? And if you're not, right. you're not going to, I don't care as much about the minutes when Sabonis isn't on the court, quite frankly. Yeah, I agree. I, I think too, like we'll get into this a lot with other teams, but if, if your need is quote unquote, like a, a, a change of pace at like backup center, for example, I mean, that's just in terms of the volume and in terms of like the impact of that player's contributions, you're talking just like a few minutes, you know, every night, it's just not, it's just not that big a deal. Whereas a, a wing, you know, a rotation guy or a starter, even just going to be on the floor in every minute that matters. Right. If you're a playoff bound team, like the Kings, then that's what you're focused on. So, so I'd agree there. I think if you're looking at what they have to get something done, you know, so they owe this 24 first rounder to Atlanta from the Kevin Herter deal. I'm so, I don't mean to laugh at because that trade worked out well for them, but these like yeah. pick protections that teams are doing right now. I don't know why. I, I think it's probably smart of the teams that are acquiring them to have them protected until the end of time. But I was going when I was when we were putting together these sheets for this podcast, and I'll do a better job when we do the other divisions of talking about the criteria. And if you're watching on YouTube, you do have what Grant and I are using. It's just like we're not going through all of it. Grant kind of said that this is going to be more of a loose discussion. I will have a trade idea or we will have a trade idea for every team. That is if I'm the team making the call, like I'm the Kings and I'm going to be calling and offering this trade. Um, so, but you can look on YouTube and you can see all their salaries, pick commitments. If you're into that sort of thing, I apologize for not mentioning it at the top and for interjecting grant here, but I'm just, when I, when we were going through and building this, the pick commitments, well, I'm not even talking about the teams that have given up a multiple first time picks, but it's just like Detroit having or Portland having the lottery protected pick to stay in the Western conference just through 2028 is just, it it's so limiting in yeah. what they can do now. So I apologize, but that's yeah. sort of where the Kings are at right now. It, it is. And like, there are situations, Portland, I think being one of them where it's like, well, job number one in your, or the, you know, item one on your, your trade deadline priority list is let's see if I can swing a deal to like, adjust the protections on this pick so we can actually move another one or, you know, which is just kind of an, I can't remember the heat did it last year, but before that, I, I really can't remember a significant example of where a team had to do that. And now there's several situations where because of all these, like, you know, carryover protections and, and encumbrances that just don't go away necessarily. And it just ruins, it compromises your whole draft for, for years on end. So the Kings have those pick issues. If you're looking on YouTube, uh, they, so this 24 first, it's lottery protected and then top 12 and then top 10. And it turns into seconds in 26 and 27, if not conveyed, that just kind of ties them up. Fortunately, the Kings do have some expiring slash unwanted salaries. They can move. I know you've listed here as Rashawn Holmes is the most likely player to be traded. What a turnaround, by the way, because I, I'm sure that we both liked his contract when he signed it. I called um, it. A, I said his agent should get fired because I thought it was a steal. But. Right. Yeah. Good. Good for the king from the king's perspective. It seemed like a bargain, but there was some off court stuff last year, and it's just you know they have Sabonis now, and he's just at best the second guy, and has not really even been the backup center for most of this year. So you can throw him in there. You can throw Terrence Davis in there. Harrison Barnes is someone we've talked about in previous deadlines, but and he's got eighteen plus million expiring, but that, I can't imagine he's going anywhere because right now he's probably the closest thing they have to like a three and D combo forward. Keegan Murray can shoot it, but you know, it, you're probably not trading him even if you are in a win now situation. So there's ways to get salary. There's ways if you're creative enough to get pick equity, but I mean, target wise, like 
I just, you know, they're going to be after the same list of like three to five guys we'll go through for every wings forward starved team. So your Bogdanovich is your Crowders, your Jalen McDaniels, like, like that kind of thing um, makes the most sense for me. Uh, there'll just be a lot of competition for, for those guys and anybody else even remotely similar. Yeah. And it's there because of the, the pick that we're talking about in 2024, going to Atlanta and it's protected theirs in comparison isn't so long as others it's only protected through 2026 but like that means you can't guarantee a first until Mm -hmm. 2028 and the soonest you can give up a first is 2026 and so that takes you out of the running of a lot of high profile guys you almost need the seconds to work out would you agree that even though based off his contract I think a lot of people think it's bad now that Rashawn Holmes is the most likely player to be dealt I mean, just because of the number, 11.2 this year, 12.9 player option next year, which he will a million percent pick up because his, his stock has dropped so far. I just don't think he's going to get that back on a, on a, if he were to go into free agency this summer, I just can't imagine he would approach, like, is he even a mid-level guy? He's probably a taxpayer mid-level guy, maybe. Um, so I guess so. I just, they're, they're good players right now. You know, the types of guys you would think about moving Barnes is, is one, you're not, you're not moving Herder. Trey Lyles actually plays for them and, and he's an expiring at like two he's and a half. Good too. Right. And, and two and a half million bucks. That's just not going to get you what you need. Davion Mitchell, maybe. I don't know what the value of like a one position defense first slash defense only point guard is, but rookie scale deal. You could see someone be interested in him, um, but he plays too. So, you know, uh, it, it's, it's not like they have other than Holmes. It's not like they have, significant salary just kind of sitting there to move because Alex Len is in that group too but what does he make like just under four I think so that's that's tough to get there so it's got to be Holmes probably I don't know who else it would be yeah and also if we're talking about them needing defense you go with Terrence Davis maybe expiring if we're talking about them needing defense you can't really give up Davion Mitchell so the the trade that I came up with for them and we'll scroll down here for if people want to see it on the screen uh I have the Kings receive Jay Crowder and the Suns re- receive Rashawn Holmes, a 2024 second round pick and Portland's 2025 uh, second round pick and cash to offset because they are taking out uh, on money and that would increase their tax bill. And the Kings have, uh, I think, all their cash left so they could offset that. So you get Sacramento's 2024 second, Portland's 2025 second, and you offset the tax difference for Rashawn Holmes. I mean, I love that from the Kings perspective. If I'm the, if I'm the Suns and we'll get to them eventually here, I think I, I think I'm going to at least try to get, even if it's like a fake first rounder, I think I want a first rounder somehow for Crowder. And that might just be totally unrealistic, but um, yeah, if, if I'm the, if I'm the Kings, I'm the, take my money. I'm doing this immediately. The other thing I kind of thought of with them was like, could you get, if you're going to help Philly duck the tax, would you take on Corkmaz, get Matisse Seibel, and then you send out Terrence Davis is expiring. And would you be willing to give up? um metu in that deal or even like would the sixers take anybody in that scenario i think like you know would they take back because you need them to duck the tax you don't want to give up trey lyles you could give up uh pj dozier you could give up matthew delavadova i don't think they'd want to give up casey akpala but would you do something like that to get matisse seibel whereas you're taking on some money this year but you have just a ton of room under the tax and so like let's let's just say it's unless you think that you know metu is someone who has played for them Right. Um, but he's averaging under 10 minutes a game in the month of January. So would you do Metu 
and Terrence Davis just to get Matisse Seibel. And then it's, I mean, like the Kings like shooting and in theory, that's what Korkmaz could provide. Yeah. And I think, I think the upside or the situational viability of someone like Tybal, even though his stock is down, certainly from, you know, a couple of years ago when it seemed like he was like a, he was going to be a perfect role player if he could, you know, shoot league average from three on decent volume. I would probably go for that if I were the Kings, just because like Davis actually has some value. Um, but I think it's a little bit, he's a little superfluous with like, you have Monk to run second units and be kind of the spark plug guy. He's a different player. You know, Davis is, is, is the type that he's sort of Josh Hardy and like his board crashing and, and that kind of thing, although he's smaller, but I think Tybal for sure would possibly if, if, if it all worked out, would bring something that this, this roster absolutely doesn't have, which is a guy that just, you know, causes havoc, is deflections, blocks, steals. And then you're triggering, if that goes well, you're triggering a transition attack that's already really, really dangerous. So that like the fit there makes a ton of sense. Do you like that deal better than the, the Crowder one for them? Or do you like the Crowder one better? I mean, I, I think I probably, I probably, well, that's a good question. I think I like the second one better now that I have to think about them in, you know, compared to one another, just because Crowder, like how much different is Crowder than Harrison Barnes really? Or, I think or, and Tybal can do like point of attack stuff or like yeah. more truer wings or Crowder's like sort of a bigger burlier defender. Right. And, and he may be at the stage of his career where it, he's just, he's not that, much he's not that great of a defender to where he's not he's even helping you if he's not making like 38 percent of his threes which you know that's gone up and down too right and you can play Tybal with Barnes and Keegan Murray you can't really do the same with Crowder I will say you could play Crowder with Davion Mitchell you can't play Tybal and Mitchell together I wouldn't think no that would not I don't know where you're getting your shooting and your offense from there if, I guess if you well if you have Fox and Sabonis you could make a lot of things work but right would that be congested around those two if you didn't that's that's what works with the kings is they put shooters around those two guys and just you know the offense hums if you don't have if you, if you have two guys out there that aren't going to really be honored you know off the ball that makes it tough let's get to the los angeles clippers here and so they're inherently just and look they're within striking distance of getting to the ford seed in the uh the western conference at this point and they are inherently buyers and we can go through like kind of figuring out who's their most likely player to be traded gets like a little bit difficult. Um, but I, my biggest question for them, like kind of looking into the, the trade deadline is uh, are they going to include a first round pick to get better? They can trade 2028 or 2029. And if they don't trade a first, what's the best they could do? Um, they don't have like, any i guess really they don't have any notable inbound other picks like second rounders anymore um you do have the 9.7 million dollar trade exception and so are you willing to just use that on the you know and the trade idea that i didn't propose because i feel like it's just the obvious one would be can you throw the knicks a second and then they just put isaiah hartenstein into your uh traded player exception and if you're are they trying to do you a solid like if you're willing to send them back an expiring contract um you could work it that way uh, just because Hartenstein does have time left on his deal. And the Knicks do not use him properly, quite frankly. Like he's not a rim runner and that's what they've decided that they're going to use him like. So there's that type of a deal. Are you willing to take on that type of money if you're not sending out a player who's making like like real money at that point? It's different if you're sending back like, oh, yeah, the Knicks will take Reggie Jackson in that scenario. 
or even a John Wall, but if they're not, um, that is a pretty big tax commitment. I would default towards Steve Bomber not really giving a shit. But um, so that's that's really just what I'm looking at. And then what are they going to prioritize if they are making the upgrade? Is it going to be? Uh, I think they could probably use some wing diversification at this point, which feels really weird to say with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George there. Terrence Mann maybe hates that uh, helps that a little bit. I do think people have said that the the need for a floor general or point guard is overrated. I really don't think it is. If you're saying it needs to be like a caps lock point guard or conventional point guard, and I'm not a fan of that phrasing, I just feel like they need more of a floor general element that's an easier fit to play off of their primary scores and playmakers in Kawhi and Paul George. Um, and that's just not... Reggie Jackson's played a little bit better lately, but it's not John Wall. That's clear. And then you have depth that you need behind Zubots. My whole thing is like, you're not giving up. If, if it meant getting Miles Turner, okay, but like you're not going to give up your best you know, trade asset, that first round pick, or even Terrence Mann to get um, someone to play behind Zubots. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I saw a lot of like, oh, Terrence Mann for Nas Reed works straight up. And if I'm the Timberwolves, yeah, I do that in a heartbeat, but I can't do that if I'm the Clippers. Like there needs to be, if it's part of like a D'Angelo Russell trade, maybe you could look at something like that. Um, so what do they prioritize more, I think it's easier to get depth at the five because you could address that uh, on the buyout market. But I also think when we're looking at trade specifically, it's probably more likely that you can take a big into that trade exception, hold your first round pick and just think like, okay, well, the crux of this core, if it's healthy enough, is going to contend and be a threat in the playoffs. I will, however, say I'm not necessarily confident in that. It's where I look at this roster and think they need to address two of what I just mentioned, where it's either diversify the wing rotation, improve sort of the, the floor general or, or playmaking aspect independent of Kawhi and Paul George or get big man depth. And I think that the big man depth is probably like, I would just address it because it's easier and it's probably more of a, a glaring void at this point than anything else, even though I don't think it's the one that's holding them back the most, but I think for them to actualize their top end outcome, they need to address two of, of these needs. Yeah, I think I'm not sure I'm with you all the way on on the need for a point guard, you know, conventional or whatever, whatever, however you want to phrase it, being overstated. Just because if you look through the rest of the roster, it's like, well, what what what's the problem then? You know, like I, I, like the, they've got a million wings. Uh, they've got, you know, a conventional center in Zubats who's good at his job, like, but has all of the limitations that come with his player type. Um, and they have small ball five options. So I just almost by default, I, like, I agree. I don't think it, you don't need like 2008 Chris Paul or whatever, like to make this work. I, I mean, the bar is low because John Wall started hot and then was really terrible. Just like not getting guarded. Reggie Jackson has been really bad. So like, you know, it doesn't even like, what if it's, I, I doubt that it doesn't sound like the Pistons are going to trade him. But one of the people I thought of was Alec Burks. Like he's not even a point guard, but he is someone that, is asked to create a lot. He's asked to sort of function in that role. And he's, you know, certainly not on the level of, oh my God, this guy's going to run our offense for 36 minutes a night and it's going to be great. But, you know, that type of player maybe is like your, your lower end fix. Um, there are other expense, more expensive or, or, you know, more conventional again, with that word options we'll, we'll get to, I think, but I, I still just focus on that point guard spot. Um, even if it may be the case that like whoever they get just actually won't close games in the playoffs. Cause you're just going to go with 
George and Kawhi and then two other wings or slash forwards and like it's Kennard or it's Terrence Mann or whatever technically playing point guard. I think I think it's they're a tricky team because there is a need, I think, but then like if is the guy they get to fill that need gonna actually matter, you know, outside of as a depth piece, you know, when we play real serious games that the Clippers anticipate being in. So the trade idea I have for them is the Clippers get, this would address your need, Mike Conley and the Jazz get Robert Covington, Reggie Jackson, and a 2024 second round pick. I mean, I feel like that's the first thing you bump on is the cost because Conley's, I think 14 million of his 24-ish is guaranteed for next year, but the Clippers don't care. So I mean- It's 2 million more than Rocco too. Yeah, basically, It's fine. fine. I I think- um, I keep saying this and maybe it's just going to make me sound stupid in the aftermath, but if I'm the jazz, I really want, uh, I like the optics of getting a first of some kind. And I just calmly may not be worth that, but um, I, I think I do this. I think this makes sense, right? I do think Conley might have a few other suitors too, that, that the Clippers might have to beat offers for, but, but yeah, this makes a lot of sense. And from the jazz's perspective, like, you know, I don't know how much they care about the pick or Jackson, but Covington in theory is someone that has had his value, like, go way up and down, which is weird for his role. And maybe he's someone that they flip again or, or just, you know, take the, the tax, uh, the cap relief or whatever. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, I don't really have it. Do you expect them, I guess, just to wrap up on them. If you had to predict, do, are they going to trade a first round pick at the deadline 28 or 29? I would say no. Um, but I do think it's fairly likely that someone like, like Morris or, you know, even Batum or like even coffee or Boston, like those kind of guys might be on the move. I, I don't think they're going to trade a pick just cause I'm not sure that they see a piece out there that warrants it. Although I just said, maybe Conley should be worth a first, but yeah, I don't think so. It doesn't feel like it to me. What do you, do you see that happening? No, I don't think they're going to just because if the market was different or maybe, like I said, if if the Hawks decide like they're going to make Bogdan Magdanovich available and you can get Jalen Johnson as part of that deal, or maybe even on Yeka Kongu, mm-hmm. um, I just don't see the Hawks are playing better. So that sort of feels out of the question. I think the, I don't want to say the ceiling, but like, I don't know if you would do the trade that I mentioned before, but like, if you're the Knicks just to sort of get out of, I don't think Hartenstein's deal is terrible, but like he's on the books for next year. If you could send Hartenstein in their, their TPE and you get back, I mean, maybe would they even give you a mere coffee? at this point even and just like would you do something like that get a you know a 2024 second round pick for isaiah hartenstein basically would you i think i would do that for for both sides i'm not sure if the clippers would want uh like to get rid of a player in that instance and my guess would be even though he's had an uneven year it wouldn't be coffee they want to get rid of uh but like john wall team options like you could just take him on and he comes off the books or whatever but that would be i think that's the type of move they make i just didn't want to propose it because it felt obvious yeah no i mean yeah i think I think they had, isn't the feeling that the Clippers will do, do something because they're so all in that they, they never like, there's no, there's no scenario where they just say we're good with this because it's, that's just never true for them. 1000%. Yeah. All right. So uh, I've got the Warriors next. uh, And so I feel like they've been so discussed that, that there's really not a lot of mystery here. I mean, everything is related to the two timelines and the two sort of different crops of players. They have the veterans and the young guys. And so you could, you could kind of frame it however you want. Um, but the Warriors, like a million other teams in the West are like a couple games from the 
bottom of the plan and and then a couple games from being fourth in the conference it's just a hot week here or there and they could be there um they've been super inconsistent so someone who has not contributed at all is james wiseman and so i think the real question for them is is it is it worth it it's not is it time because i think it's it's probably time but is it worth it to trade james wiseman now and so the factors you have to consider are where are we relative to what his lowest value versus highest value is going to be. How much does that matter uh, in the calculus of this season? Because it may be the case that what you get for him now isn't going to help. And so now you've just traded this guy with a whatever tiny percent chance of becoming an all-star years from now for what was ultimately not enough help, right? Like that would suck. That'd be a bad look. You also have this issue of like, do we just hold on to him? because his value theoretically can't get much lower than this. And we do think this is speaking as the warriors. We do think, you know, there's a great chance that three, four years from now, he is a really good starting center. The problem is that doesn't matter at all now because who knows what this team will look like a few years from now, it probably won't be competing for titles. So um, the reason Wiseman is the focal point is because they just don't have anybody else that they would realistically trade that has a big enough salary number to get somebody back who'll matter. Um, Wiseman's at 9.6 million this year. Moses Moody's at 3.7. Um, you're just not going to trade Steph, Clay, Draymond, Wiggins, Poole. Um, Poole's poison-pilled anyway. Uh, if that weren't the case, that would be interesting because then I think he would be on the table um, and pretty movable. But so that's that's just what it is. Like, is it is now is it worth it to trade James Wiseman now? Is it is the timing right? And is there a piece out there that will justify what would be a pretty big admission of like, we kind of blew it in with this pick. I'm just curious as to whether like they're even having impetus to do that. Do you think that they're at full strength? Any looking at what you think you could realistically get for James Wiseman. Do you even think like you're a uh, James Wiseman trade away from being a, and look, the deal that I mentioned that I'm not going to propose here is just like, if you can trade James Wiseman for, and Moses Moody for Cody Martin, Jalen McDaniels, and PJ Washington. Do you one do it, and two, do you think that makes you like a serious contender? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's the problem. Is like you have to really. It's unclear. I don't think it's definitely not a. Oh my God, we got PJ Washington now, and and to a lesser extent Cody Martin. Like we're good. We've got that. Our nine man rotation is complete. This is a title. The other thing is, there's still a reasonable chance that if the war. This was my position last year if the Warriors don't do anything, they might just have, you know, they might just need to come together and hit, you know, everybody play well at the same time. And they might win anyway. They might win it anyway. Like there, there wasn't a trade last year. I thought that would put them over the top. And I didn't think they should trade the young guys last year. I'm much more inclined to say that now, but the package you're saying is like, I mean, I guess that improves that definitely improves them. Is it, to a great enough degree above what they might be able to get to just with guys on the roster now playing better. And is that difference enough to justify giving away a lottery ticket? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it's tough. Like what I would say is if there's Bogd- if, if Boyan Bogdanovich, who is just sort of like, I guess the best reasonably available bet fitting player, if he were available, and you could give up Wiseman and Moody and what, you know, whatever, does that do it? Does that, is, is he that much better than Otto Porter 
from last year. Like, does it, I mean, he's a better player, but the Warriors won't use Bogdanovich for, you know, 17 shots a game. Like that just, the, the difference would be less significant than you might think. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just talking now because the, I think this is one of the most complicated high stakes uh, situations in the league where easy answers just, you know, escape me. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't think they're going to do anything. And I'm even curious as to what, what do you view as there? And I know you've touched on a little bit, like if you had to just boil it down, like the one thing, player type that they need like what is it i think too much has almost been made about the big man rotation just because i think in the playoffs kavon looney is fine and you can go to draymond at the five and you're gonna downsize anyway and so i've i've just been interested like i saw a lot of warriors fans like all of a sudden intrigued by mason Plumley. i couldn't tell if they were trolling or something but i just don't think that that's a not even in it it, first of all it has to be james wiser he's your only salary really to move which is just so difficult he's also probably your toughest because he makes over 12 million next year you need a team that wants to take a flyer on Mm -hmm. him yeah, that's not a cheap flyer. I think, I think, yeah, you mentioned Plumley. Like the whole Jakob Pertle uh, brief dalliance made no sense to me, even less sense, really, just because, like, so you're just not going to play, like, Looney or Draymond playing less does not seem like the solution to what's wrong with the Warriors. So, uh, and then you've got Pertle that you'd have to theoretically pay a 20 million a year to keep, which is like a non starter for me. Uh, so, what they need, I think, is just, who's well what they need is like the healthy version of 32 year old Andre Iguodala or even like the what Porter did last year they need a forward who knows how to play can move the ball will hit spot up shots it's not like a big role but it's it's something they don't have that you know they're asking you know Anthony Lamb is one of the biggest two-way contract success stories of the season but he's he's not someone I think they believe in to the degree they did Porter certainly not Iguodala um, they need that type. They need a forward, a three, four guy that can shoot, that can defend, that understands how to play in the system. And it's just like, okay, that's, that's like four guys in the whole league. So like, I, I don't know if, if the trade market is, is how they get there. Um, I do have a trade that I think is somewhat nuclear. And the only reason I thought of it is because you gave, you gave me time um, to, to extra time before the podcast to actually workshop it. And the framework is complicated, but I'll give you before getting into the details. If you were to give up James Wiseman and Jordan Poole for, or can you even are you even like mentally prepared for what's what's about to happen right now? Well, how what 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 is Poole's salary going to count for? Because he's it does, got it doesn't it doesn't matter because I made it work financially. Okay. So like, what level of player do I need to get back? I'm just like, do you even see where this is going? Like, I have no idea. Jordan Poole, James Wiseman for Keldon Johnson. Oh man. God, I wish <laughs> that's such a good trade. <laughs> I, I think, I don't think Keldon Johnson is quite the like basketball IQ type of veteran. The Warriors would need, would ideally want, but God, his contract's good and he's young and he plays really hard and he's a 20 point scorer on a bad team. Oh, that's really tough. I mean, it, it take Wiseman out of it. If, like just if it were pool for Keldon Johnson straight up, I, I think I would hesitate. Uh, I like, I like that. How did you do that? <laughs> how, do, how do you make so, that work? Because the Spurs have 26 million cap in cap space. space. Um, yeah. But it's still complicated because just there's the discrepancy in what the teams are, 
you know, worth going at what their Jordan Poole is worth to the Warriors going out versus coming in that the Spurs cap space actually isn't enough. And so I ended up going Keldon Johnson to the Warriors, James Johnson, Jordan Poole, James Wiseman, and two second round picks to the Spurs. And then Zach Collins and Isaiah Roby to the Indiana Pacers. Okay. Oh, you brought in, you roped in the other cap space team. I actually don't even think you need to do the James Johnson, like, Roby thing there. I don't even know why I why I included that to be honest with you. Um, so like I think you could just get it done with you know d- forget that element of it. But like Zach, you'd be giving up Zach Collins was played really well. I would yeah. I thought about would the Pacers give you the less favorable of Boston's or Cleveland's first round pick to get Zach Collins, who has another year left on his deal. And it's just again, he's you talk about someone who could play with or without Miles Turner. I don't think it would be unreasonable for them yeah. to think along. But just in a vacuum, do you think do you value Jordan Poole on his contract or Keldon Johnson on his hit on his as the better asset? Oh, it's Keldon Johnson by fucking far. Just because of the money, or because Poole again, well, I'll harp on this. And, or we know, could just talk about how Keldon Johnson's the better player. But that's what I mean. Like yeah. I think that's probably true this year. But then Poole plays the role that's harder to fill, like the the shot creator role. I, I don't know. I honestly, I ask cause I don't know. That's a tough, that's a close. It's a, yeah. And like punting on that without getting a shot creator back was difficult. And again, is Jordan pool, like a better trade asset when his money actually kicks in. But I would, I don't know if I'm going to list that when I actually do the, like the bleacher report project though, because the, the only other like sort of James Wiseman thing I thought of is just like, if you could give up James Wiseman and you're figuring out a way to get back, Zach Collins and Josh Richardson. Like, does that move the needle for you? Yeah, uh, I think I think that Richardson's close to the type of player I think they're looking for. He's a little smaller than you'd want, um, but yeah, you could imagine him in, in a closing lineup potentially if Poole just can't guard his guy, or if you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of possibilities there. But you you ultimately wouldn't do the pool for Keldon Johnson one. <sighs> Man. <laughs> so <laughs> pool's another guy that i feel like they'd be trading at a like, kind of a low point um but it's possible that pool just is someone that is not going to be on this team for a long time um him or draymond potentially um i think it's also, like Keldon, I would... the other thing is Keldon johnson having him knowing draymond could leave in free agency is not the not nearly the same level of defensive player but as someone who could fill like the, I know he's an undersized four, and so you're not yeah. going to get the five minutes out of him. But just the idea of having his downhill assaults, mm-hmm. I, I, he intrigues me more. I get the shot creation concerns, though, of giving up Jordan Poole in such a deal, not getting someone to fill that. Yeah, it's close. Ask me, ask me tomorrow. I'd say, I'd say I probably <laughs> would do it today. Ask me tomorrow, and I might change my mind. It was at least like a thinker, right? I bet you weren't oh, yeah. expecting that was, but don't give me 15 extra minutes is the moral of this. Story. Yeah. Or else I get put to difficult decisions that make me anxious. Uh, let's move on to the next team in the Pacific division, which is the Phoenix suns. Um, they're having, you know, it's been, it's, I mean, they've seen, they've seen better years. Um, so they're buyers. I think by default, when you're sort of looking at them, uh, but their value of their 2023 draft pick has increased as well. I also, the things I'm watching for, yeah, we know they're going to move Jay Crowder because it would be fucking stupid not to. And if they don't, we need to have a conversation about why it wasn't done over the off season. Uh, but if, if they don't like that would just be malpractice. Does the, you know, it was reported by Woj that the sale is going to be finalized before the trade deadline. So I guess you can make 
last minute decisions, but does that and like, what else goes into that? Is it going to hold up their business at the trade deadline at all? And two, like they've just been notoriously hesitant to make major moves under James Jones. I know they traded for Chris Paul. That was a duh trade. So just like in terms of being too risk averse, I would argue that's where they've ended up with James Johnson, he, uh, with James Jones here, excuse me. And I'm curious as to whether, like, would they be willing to make, I don't want to even call it a blockbuster move, but a risky move to where, are you going to give up a first round pick? Are you willing to even move DeAndre Ayton, who's trade eligible? I have so many questions about them and they've been linked to like some, not flash, but they've been linked to Fred Van Fleet as an example. And that's someone I actually really like for them. Uh, but like, would you, do you have the guts to go in with an Aiton package or a picks package that's going to bring you back Fred Van Fleet? And I, I, they do not seem like the franchise that would be, you know, willing to do that. So I, that those are my questions. And I think they need shot creation. They could use even like the player that everyone thought Landry Shamit was going to be four or five years ago would be good for them. And then just like, they need more kind of like that four bigger, like, Jay Crowder, but like maybe an upgrade over Jay Crowder for this team. Someone in addition to Cam Johnson, obviously. So they have needs. It's just, are they going to go about like trying to fill them? Like, do you see this team being, and I think what's also complicated them is we're past the point of, okay, maybe an Eric Gordon trade solves this because I don't think that that's, you could trade for Eric Gordon and that'd be the safe mood. I, I don't think it costs you a first round pick anymore. But like, what is that? What are we doing there at yeah. that point? It's kind of this stopgap, cutesy little stopgap. So I would still make the move. It's not costing me a first round pick and I'm just giving them salary and seconds. However, it feels like they need a move now on a larger scale of that. And that's with, we know Devin Booker will come back. Cam Johnson's already back. Chris Paul has been playing better. I don't think people have talked. They just written him off, which is fine. Like he's getting older, but he's been I think even the decline was sort of overstated. He gets targeted on defense more. His offense has not been like this abomination. But I will say, kind of knowing the limitations to Mikael Bridges' you know, second and third layers of his offensive game and just how flat out, to put it kindly, enigmatic DeAndre Ayton has been this season, it feels like they need more than a, oh, they got Eric Gordon and KJ Martin from the from the Rockets. Yeah, I think... Um... I might be a little more inclined to put the picks in play if I were them. Um, And I wonder if just to throw a name out there, like they have the expiring salary or pretty close to it between Crowder and Sarich. And maybe they got to do a little bit more. Um, I haven't run this through the trade machine, but they're close to just like to the, would the Hawks take those guys and however many picks you need for John Collins. Like, and again, we've talked every week about how John Collins value is like, nobody knows what it is. Um, but like, if you're going to bring the picks into play, then I think suddenly just whatever name is atop the available players list becomes reasonable, you know, reasonable, um, just because the Suns have movable come off the books salary that they can get to a good enough number to where you're just not really trading for those players. You're just, you want that, that cap relief. Maybe they'll be okay for you. Like a team like the Hawks could actually use Jay Crowder, um, but something like that feels plausible to me just because you are, you know, I think you got to at least see what you can do with this roster this season. And then later on, you can decide what to do with Aiden. You can decide, uh, you know, what to do, I guess, with Chris Paul, but like, 
adding a big piece and putting those picks on the table, I think is, is, a, is a possibility that, uh, you know, is probably not getting enough attention. I don't know. So yeah, that, that, that would be what I would be looking for just because to double all the way back, like the Jay Crowder thing is such an impossible situation because they just need a guy like Jay Crowder from a team that presumably has one that would also want Jay Crowder. So why are you giving up your Jay Crowder facsimile for another one when the the real deal has like quit on his team and been away for like, it just, it's an impossible situation to, to get like value just for Crowder. So I think you have to throw the picks in, you have to combine a salary if you really want like a, a value add uh, acquisition. It's, I guess what's tough is because it doesn't seem like that if Pascal Siakam became available, okay, well, oh, that yeah. makes a ton of sense for them to do. Mm-hmm. But like that level of player doesn't even seem available. Maybe Fred Van Vliet is the closest that we come. I think that they should be even more aggressive. It's like, oh, you, Gary Trent Jr., someone who's going to be a free agent, smaller than maybe you want, but like you could definitely play him with, you can run Chris Paul, Mikael Bridges, and Devin Booker with Gary Trent Jr. and then have Aiden at the five if you wanted to go mm-hmm. that route. Like you could play that. So, I think they need to be even more aggressive in searching for those types of moves where it's okay. This player is going to make more of an impact of Eric Gordon, but no, he's not a star. And yes, I'm putting my pick on the table. You probably protect it more than you would if it's four star clearly, especially given what feels like higher variance outcomes for them this year, the trade that I actually have for them. And it's focused on Fred Van Vliet. I think what's tough is we need to know what the Raptors would actually want, but we talked about this trade a little bit. I changed the framework of it on the last podcast, but the Suns get, Chris Boucher, Rashawn Holmes, Fred Van Vliet. The Kings get Jay Crowder. The Raptors receive DeAndre Ayton, Cameron Payne, and a 2024 second-round pick from Sacramento, and then Portland's 2025 second-round pick from Sacramento. My concerns here, and Raptors fans pointed this out on YouTube, was the Raptors are losing just basically like half of their – or a third of their shot creation going from Van Vliet to Ayton. But if the Raptors were actually interested in Aiton over the summer and they seem obsessed with having a big man now, or if they're pivoting into this retool and you're getting rid of Van Vliet, like the goal isn't to get another shot creator. I think what you yeah. can argue is, would they prefer the picks package? And so like the the picks package from uh, Phoenix's end of the spectrum looks something like Dario Saric, Jay Crowder, campaign you throw in there. And then like, how many picks do you need to get that done? Just straight, let, let's talk straight up with, with Toronto. And so I'm asking you that. And then would you, I guess first this deal, who says no to it? Like looking at this three team trade, because I think what I just asked you though, kind of informs if you're the Raptors, are you leaning towards the, and it depends on how you view Deandre Ayton's contract at this point where he has three years and 102 million left on it. I don't think that he's bad value. Um, And I think he would help the Raptors even next to Siakam, but it does throw your spacing off. It does make your half court offense more reliant on Siakam and Scotty Barnes needing to do things. And maybe even are you keeping Gary Trent Jr. in this scenario? But if you liked Aiton and you want a big, like that's someone who fits more of the retool than if you go picks, because you're not going to replace Fred Van Vliet in free agency. Like you're not all of a sudden going to have cap space. Right. So if you go the picks route, you're kind of saying steering closer to the rebuilding phase, or at least saying, well, we're going to flip these picks for someone else who elevates our shot creation. Yeah. So a couple things. I think if I'm Toronto, I'm doing this immediately um, just because I'm uncomfortable with the possibility of having to pay Van Fleet if he opts out what it might cost to keep him. I'm just, you know, he was never 
a high efficiency shooter and scorer and he's a small guard and just the small guard aging curve is what it is. Um, I think I might want to get out a year too soon than too late. And that's why I also kind of, I don't, I understand the theory of Van Vliet with Phoenix. Um, I just, it's hard for me to get there. So for those reasons and just the fit, I think just him and Chris Paul together is, I love it. They're so small. I mean, him and Lowry worked. Lowry is a little bit of a different player. Um, So I'm doing this if I'm Toronto and I do want this more than a pick package just because Aiton, weird as it is to say and wrong as it might turn out to be, given some of the hints we've had that like he might not be the most into basketball, like some of the attitude work ethic stuff, I think has been reported to be dubious. You could also Um, just be mad at the Suns. I feel like that's the thing I that's I think it's this is a buy low opportunity which is weird to say for a guy who's got 100 million left coming you know the next three years but um I like the age that he he fits into the age band Siakam's a little older but he feels that he just you no longer question what their Raptors will do at center um I think there's a scenario where he does eventually bring enough stretch to really kind of add some dynamism to that offense and would get on the offensive board just like yeah, I want DeAndre Ayton if I can get him for Van Vliet. And, you know, Boucher is the only other guy in here. And then, it, like, I'm good with that. I, I'm happy to do that. So do you, if you're Toronto, do you don't even need the picks that you're getting? That, like, you could send those to Phoenix? No, because, I, 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 yeah, I'm fine because I view Van Vliet as an expiring contract that I'm not totally sure I want back at what it's going to cost to get him. So I'm so if the alternative is, I, I guess he's him. older. I view him as the more valuable playoff player, but I guess in the context of Phoenix's roster, I get you're good. So it's a no from Phoenix's end for you. If it's yeah, if I'm in charge of Phoenix, I, I don't think I'm doing that. Um, just, and I like Van Fleet. It's weird. I feel like I'm shitting on him, but um, I, I mean, I, like I get Booker, just... Paul Van Fleet. That's a lot committed to the backcourt. I just, how long, there are also workable deals if you wanted to, and you were Toronto, you want to go the picks route. It's Chris Paul and picks for Fred yeah. Van Vliet. Like that's the structure you could go with. I'm just thinking Chris Paul's gone after next year. And so you're talking about one year of going smaller. And the way that the Suns have been able to just plug and play like Bismarck Biombo or um, Jacques Landale, uh, Jacques Landale into the five spot and have it work out. Right. Uh, imagine what they're going to be able to do with Chris Boucher and Rashawn Holmes. And so I'm just wondering, like, I get it. I totally get it. I think I actually like this more for Phoenix than I do for Toronto though. And I would, yeah, by the way, I would do it if I'm Sacramento, if anyone cares. <laughs> yeah. Sacramento's hundred percent on board here. Um, yeah. There's no doubt about that one. Oh, that's a good trade though. You ready to move to the Lakers? I have the Lakers next. I'm always, we always want to talk. Lakers. All right. This is kind of another simple one, I guess. Cause they sort of already made, I mean, they didn't have a lot of moves to make and they already made one. Um, so to me, the big question to answer is, yeah, I mean, like, I guess they're buyers because that's just, you know, you have LeBron and Anthony Davis, you're a buyer. It, the question is just is when do you when or if you trade those two first rounders? Um, it seems like it's not going to happen. They can trade their 27 and 29. Uh, there were a million permutations of those two attached to Russell Westbrook for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner or players X and Y or whatever else is out there. It's just a question of, is it worth it to do that now? You've basically given up your only draft assets. Or do you just kind of wait, let Russ's contract come off the books, sign somebody, and you're still in free agency, and you still then have those picks to dangle in some other deal? Um, The Lakers are, other than Patrick Beverly, are really hard up for matching salary if you're not going to have Westbrook in there. So 
how they go about getting, you know, uh, a bigger wing or just more shooting or a forward that can defend, like how they go about that is really tricky. Um, they just don't have the assets and they gave up a bunch of seconds uh, to get Rui Hachimura, who I do not think will answer any of the real questions that roster has on either end. So uh, yeah, I mean, you target all the normal guys like Josh Richardson, Crowder, Robert Covington. I'd even look at someone like Chris Duarte, Burks, Cam Reddish, Doug McDermott, just any, any live body that can play like a two or a three position and shoot it a little bit. And, you know, if you get run over on defense, whatever, uh, I guess that's not the biggest deal. Um, but you just really have Beverly to do something with. So I kind of wonder if the Hachimura move is going to be it. Because unless somebody really wants Patrick Beverly, I'm not sure what else the Lakers really have left to do. Imagine calling yourself the caretaker of LeBron's legacy this summer and then giving him Rui Hachimura as like your big trade acquisition. Just a, <laughs> like, my God. Uh, so you just don't think, and I think, I you don't believe, my question to you is, would you trade one or both of the first round picks? That Like, that's the biggest question. And I'm all, so here's, I want to lay this out. I talked about this on the podcast reaction that I did to the trade. I was wondering, and I felt a little bit smarter about it, wondering this after I heard Zach Lowe talk about the day after. I'm sure people think I'm just parroting him because I'm sure that's what typically happens. Um, However, anyway, um, you took on Rui Hachimura. You say you want him back this summer, which take that with a metric ton of salt. The Lakers can have 30 plus million in cast space. They can just renounce him. They might prefer that. Maybe they could work with even a, his cap holds close to 19 million, but you could sign, he's going to cost less than that. And so oh, like, yeah. let's say if he costs 10 million, you sign him for 10 million and you still have 20 plus million in cap space, they might go that route. But I'm also wondering if you really want to keep Rui or you're planning on working with some version of his cap hold or his next salary, have you now shown an inclination to take on money beyond this season? And does that up, the ante in terms of what you can get back in a trade, but also does that then if you're going to take back money, does it increase the likelihood that you give up both or one of those first round picks because you're willing to take back money? Well, what does that mean? Are we talking like Gordon Hayward's contract as taking back money type of thing? Or, or you know? I mean, well, you can't, I mean, honestly, like if they were offering Gordon Hayward for Russ, like I might consider it at this point, I, maybe not, but I'm just saying like, even when you're talking about the Boyan Bogdanoviches of the world, or if it was Malik Beasley or Gary, or even just like the, the idea of, well, why would you go after Fred Van Fleet from the Raptors? Where I know Raptors fans didn't want both the first round picks and like the Beverly plus salary package the Lakers can offer. But like, I might consider that if I'm Toronto. I'm so like, does it make it more likely that because you're maybe viewing this, maybe if you really, if you, if you want to keep Rui, you're viewing this through a longer term lens. It's not even necessarily about taking on someone who's under contract next year, but you're willing to make a bigger trade because you will pay that person or keep the money that's already on the books because you're not as married to doing something in free agency this summer. Yeah, I think, and I've gone back and forth on this over the course of the year. Uh, I think where I'm at now and where I've been at for a little while is that of the trades that have been discussed or even hinted at, I don't think there's one out there that gets the Lakers to the level they need to get to and would therefore justify the giving up the 27 and 29 picks. And there's a bunch of stuff wrapped into that, which, you know, we talked, we've talked about before of like who gives a shit about 27 and 29 picks. Like 
both because executives don't last forever and because LeBron and Anthony Davis are at this level now and figure out the rest later. I just, so if it's Turner and healed, which it isn't going to be, I don't think that I think that's just that ship has sailed and, and, and I don't know. So that even that didn't do it for me. So I, I guess I hold on to those picks and my plan would be, we, I don't know, really kind of messes this up, I think, um, or complicates it. My plan would have just been, can we sign Kyrie Irving? Can we get him to figure out, can we get him to take less than his max? And then can we use those picks with some other salary we get from somewhere to, to then go get somebody else in addition to that? There's a million ifs and like, I don't even know how realistic that is, but that would be my approach now. I want somebody in that salary cap space. And then I want to be able to trade those picks for like a fourth guy, you know, after AD LeBron and Kyrie, that, that would be my approach. So that's also why uh, if it were me, I'm not sure the Lakers do much else before the deadline. And that's reflected in my trade idea for them, which is the Lakers get Josh Richardson, uh, it says Phoenix on the document. I must not have changed the team, but the Spurs get Patrick Beverly's expiring deal and then 25 and 27 second round picks from the Lakers. And I, I, this is the thing that I struggle with is when fans are like, well, why do the Spurs want Patrick Beverly? And the answer is that they don't. He's an expiring contract. He'll be bought out, probably resigned in Minnesota or something. Just look at it as that. And so you're getting two second round picks for, for Josh Richardson. Yeah. I think if I'm the Lakers, I'm, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Let's do that. Um, if I'm the Spurs, so we'll get, I'll have the Spurs in a little bit, but I, I want more than seconds. Um, just because, so, so I think that's probably realistic. It's me holding out and being stingy. And if I'm the Spurs or anyone that's got a desirable wing or expiring guy, I just want to see if this market is tight enough to where I can squeeze a first out of somebody. Cause there's going to be like seven, eight teams, really wanting Josh Richardson and that's just not because he's great but that's just because that's what you've got available so I think that's a reasonable trade uh even if if I'm the Spurs I might try to uh try to see if I could find a first somehow out of that this was fun I think we killed it are you ready to to take us out yes uh everybody thank you again for listening as always and as we request at the top and we do at the bottom please remember to rate review subscribe give us five stars on iTunes uh vote us up on youtube um and get these uh, rogue contingents of uh homer fans uh, put them in their place follow us on socials at hardwood Knox on twitter and tiktok at hardwood underscore Knox on uh instagram uh links for all kinds of stuff are in the description of this video if you're watching uh and if you're listening again thank you tell your friends tell your enemies and as always we leave with uh just a big shout out to Frank Nilakina, who again was unmentioned in this episode, and an apology to Jared Allen.